All right, guys, we're continuing in 2 Corinthians. And so uh, we're looking at, the, again, that's a big, the high-level view is strength in suffering. And today we're going to see kind of a little bit about how even in suffering, it can allow us to be a witness, how, how suffering can be used to let us be a light to those in our life. So we're going to be in 2 Corinthians chapter 2. In verses 12 through 17, 2 Corinthians 2, verses 12 through 17, and let's look at God's word there together, and let's be encouraged together. The Bible says, King James Version here says, furthermore, Paul writes, when I came to Troas to preach Christ's gospel, and a door was opened unto me of the Lord, I had no rest in my spirit because I found not Titus my brother. But taking my leave of them, I went from thence into Macedonia. Verse 14, Now thanks be unto God, which always causes us to triumph in Christ, and maketh manifest the savor of his knowledge by us in every place. This is the key verse here. For we are unto God a sweet savor of Christ in them that are saved, and in them that perish, uh, to the one we are the savor of death unto death, and to the other the savor of life unto life. I love this phrase right here. Who is sufficient for these things? For we are not as many which corrupt the word of God, but as of sincerity, and but as of God, in the sight of God, speak we in Christ. Speak we in Christ. Uh, have you ever had an opportunity to really witness to someone or you've sought one? That's a good little story that, to look for sometimes the doors that the Lord provides. This is from Michael uh, Escobas. He says, when we were visiting my brother Bill and his wife uh, Betty, since we hadn't seen them in a long time, we hoped during our stay to be able to share the gospel with them. Upon our arrival, Bill, who was at work, said to make ourselves at home, but cautioned us that his two dogs always have to warm up to strangers. I think John has a dog like that, don't you, John? While we were waiting for our host to come, our three-year-old daughter, Adrian, fearlessly placed her hands on the dog several times. Concerned, I asked her, what are you doing? <laughs> Finding out if the dogs have warmed up enough to play, she said, <laughs> innocently. Not only did the dogs warm up, but the incident broke the ice for witnessing to our family. So it created an opportunity, right? You guys, I want you to look, and it may be in the strangest way, the strangest conversation, but the Lord, I think, will give us opportunity this week to be a light and a witness if we'll be prepared for it. Today, we want to talk about smells. What's the best smell you think you've ever smelled? Go ahead. You can answer out loud if you want to. Yeah, it does smell good. I'm with you on that, David. David says Chick-fil-A. That does smell pretty good. Oh, baking chocolate chip cookies, yeah, nice. Oh, yeah, they smell good, a baby, right? Yeah. Let's just be clear, she's hoping for grandchildren, not children, all right? Good. Favorite smells, best smells. I have to kind of agree with the Lord, I love the smell of burnt fat. My barbecue friends will get that, I think, a little bit, right? The Lord says he loves that smell. <laughs> I, think, I think I do too. All right, now let's go the opposite and try to be kind here. Don't be too gross to us, but what's some of the worst smells you've ever smelled? 
Yeah, you're not kidding. Your dad? Oh, his foot, huh? <laughs> this is the, the good thing about having children in family worship, right? A skunk? Yeah, a skunk is a long way, can smell badly. Diane? <laughs> Mom's cooking sauerkraut. That smells bad. What was it? Oh, yeah, the smell of liver and onions, right? Megan loves the smell of broccoli left over for a long time, right, Megan? How about fish? That can be pretty rough too, right? Okay. So we have some things that smell really good to us, and we have some things that smell really bad to us, right? Today in the scripture, what the Lord says is that we are the, the aroma, the savor, King James says, the, the smell, if you will, of life and death to the people who are around us, okay? So I want you to think a little bit about that. We're going to come to that here in just a bit and see if what kind of, if for kind of a funny way to put it, but a very practical way, what kind of smelly Christian are you, right? And that's what we're going to talk a little bit about today. All right, the first thing I want you to think about today is, can you spot an open door? And I think that's going to be an interesting thing even this week as we're praying for this, even now this morning. Paul says, back in verse 12, he says, Now, when I went to Troas to preach the gospel of Christ and found that the Lord had opened a door for me, I still had no peace of mind because I did not find my brother Titus there. So I said goodbye to them and went on to Macedonia. Now, there's a couple things I think that are interesting here. Paul goes to Troas and he sees that the Lord has opened a door for him. Now, this is a little holy imagination, but what do you think that might have been? What confirmed in Paul's heart that this place was an open door, right? In my mind, if I went somewhere and I was speaking and preaching, if I found people receptive to what I was speaking and telling, right? Uh, again, this is uh, kind of a, not an everyday thing, but a, a once in a lifetime thing, probably almost for some people. When I was able to go to India, they would go to different villages. And there'd be some villages that after the service, there would be a lot of people that would come and want us to pray and be around them. And you felt like that there was an open door, that people were very receptive to the gospel. But every now and then you would go through places where even the people around you looked at you like, what are you doing here? We don't want your kind around here. We don't want that other religion around here. And you got that feeling as well. So when Paul goes to Troas, he sees that I've got an opportunity. I think the Lord has opened a door here and an opportunity for me to step in. Now, do you guys see problems or opportunities? Yeah. Your preacher, one of his favorite phrases at work is he likes to manage expectations. So we try to support people in their technology, just like today. <laughs> okay. So if I tell everybody that your problems are all going to be gone and they're going to be fixed within like five minutes, uh, what do you think is going to happen when that never happens? Right? So I'm always like, let's set the bar kind of low and then let's beat it. And I end up, that's how I would do a lot of things in my life, which is sometimes is not really good, especially with what we're talking about today. Sometimes instead of seeing the problems as the problems, we need to look for the opportunity and then be aggressive to let the Lord minister. And I've got a story here about that. I want you to think about this with for me just for a second. In April 1970, the spacecraft, Apollo 13, was uh, crippled by an in-flight explosion. The astronauts relied on archaic navigational techniques to get back home. A slight miscalculation could have sent the ship spiraling thousands of miles off course into outer space. 
Even if navigation back into Earth's orbit succeeded, fears remained that the heat shield and the parachutes were not functional. In addition, a tropical storm was brewing in the landing zone. In this scene, a press agent for NASA asks for an official for more information. As the press agent recounts the multitude of dangers facing the crew, the NASA official clearly stressed responds this way, I know what the problems are, Henry. It will be the worst disaster NASA's ever experienced. Well, a NASA chief overhears this pessimistic assessment and responds sharply, with all due respect, I believe this is going to be our finest hour. A mixture of fear and hope etches the faces of the NASA team, their friends and family of the astronauts, as they watch for any sign of a successful reentry. Three minutes after the reentry process begins, Walter Cronkite's voice informs the viewing audience that no space capsule has taken longer than three minutes to complete reentry. A NASA employee continues to attempt to contact the Odyssey, saying, Odyssey, this is Houston. Do you read me? And the silence is agonizing. And suddenly the receiver at NASA crackles. A capsule seems to materialize out of thin air on the screen, and the parachutes look like giant flowers that have burst into bloom. A voice responds loud and clear. Hello, Houston. This is Odyssey. It's good to see you again. Friends, family, and NASA workers erupt in cheers, right? You see how the one guy looked at the situation? This is going to be our worst day. we got a tropical storm. We're trying to use all this old technology, these old ways of navigating. Oh, this is just going to be a nightmare. But the person who is the leader, what's he step up and say? This is an opportunity for our finest hour. Right? And that is one of NASA's finest hours, the way that they were able to overcome the obstacles. So you guys, you guys know this from a hundred sermons and stories that we've been here at church, but this is the series, Strength and Suffering. Sometimes when the problems come, all we can think about is the problems and how it hurts and how it's painful and things aren't working out. What are we doing? And yet when the Lord steps into the problem, the problem becomes an opportunity for us to be a witness, for his name to be glorified and for us to be filled with joy, right? So today, I know everybody in this room, well, I mean everybody in this room, is facing some problems, okay? But I want to challenge you this morning to ask the Lord to help you see them as an opportunity for his name to be magnified, for his story to be told, and also for you to be filled with joy. How did those NASA astronauts, the people at NASA, and the family feel after the, they were delivered? Right? <laughs> you talk about a party, right? How do we feel whenever the Lord delivers in our lives? We've had some of those testimonies even this morning, haven't we, right? So just to remind each other, encourage each other, hang in there, look for the opportunity in the problem. Paul went to Troas. He found an open door, and he was using that open door. And also, but I want you to notice, and I thought this was interesting, just because the door was open, that didn't necessarily mean that's where he had to stay. Did you catch that? That's kind of tricky, isn't it, right? If something's going well and I'm in my ministry, things are going good, I'm going to be like, well, that's where I need to stay. That's what I need to do. But Paul was troubled because he couldn't find Titus there. And Titus was probably going to bring information to Paul about the Corinthian church, the church that he's writing the letter to. And so he wanted to know how they were doing. He wanted to find Titus. Titus wasn't there. So even though that there was a fruitful time of ministry there, he was still following the Lord's lead. And so let me challenge you this morning again this way, okay? And this is for our church as well. Um, we need to make sure that we're following the Holy Spirit's lead 
whether the times are good or not so good. All right? I know we all, I mean, I'm with you. I like the good times, right? Good times in ministry, good times in my family, good times at my workplace. If the Lord, if things are going good, I want to bless him, and I like to just stay there and rest in those things. <laughs> but sometimes the Holy Spirit troubles us in a way that we may need to move and change the way that we're doing things in order to obey the Lord. Because he's the one who sees the big picture, and we don't. So just a reminder here that Paul, even in a fruitful time of ministry, left that opportunity because he was seeking Titus and he wanted to find out about the Corinthians. And so he moves on to find out what is going on with them. Now, the, the very simple second thing we want to focus on today, and this is the heart of our message today, and what I want you to think about, is we should be spreading the fragrance of Christ. Again, think about that aroma, or if you like the idea of food, think about the savor. Think about that idea of what are you spreading as it comes to being a Christian. Look down, if you would, there with me in verse 14. Paul writes here again to the church at Corinth. He says, but thanks be to God, who always leads us in triumphal procession in Christ and through us spreads everywhere the fragrance of the knowledge of him. For we are to God the aroma of Christ among those who are being saved and those who are perishing. To the one we are the smell of death, to the other the fragrance of life. And who is equal to such a task? Unlike so many, we do not peddle the word of God for profit. On the contrary, in Christ we speak before God with sincerity, like men sent from God. Now the first thing I want you to see here this morning, right there in verse 14, is that we are in a triumphal procession. Don't forget that. What's it mean to be in a triumphal procession? I don't know that we really do this in our culture too much, right? Um, I guess in a way we do it whenever a team wins a parade, right? David, are you having a parade today? <laughs> Not for your team. <laughs> All right. Sometimes when the, the big sports leagues, when the team wins, their city wins, what happens downtown, right? The next day? Like last summer, remember when Riker was here with us last summer? He's a huge St. Louis Blues fan. And so he just could not believe that the Blues were in the Stanley Cup Finals. And then when they won, they had, I don't know if they'd ever won, St. Louis just erupted. And people that lived all over that never even went to the games because they were so expensive, they came to downtown to be part of the triumphal procession, right? Now, a quick reminder, and they didn't really do this, uh, but in some war times, who's at the end of the triumphal procession sometimes? The enemy. And what happens to the end enemy at the end of the procession? They end the enemy. <laughs> All right? And so this picture here is for us, that we are in a triumphal procession with the Lord. We're on the winning team. Do you ever talk to some Christians sometime and feel like you're on the losing team? <laughs> Oh, this just life is so hard. I try to love the Lord, but it's just not easy. I don't know if I can do this. Right? It's just such a struggle. Nothing good ever happens to me. You guys ever watch Winnie the Pooh? You remember Eeyore? <laughs> oh, real slow. Right? I mean, it's that same kind of feeling. Some people, they live in the Lord like that. And I'm like, what are you doing, people? We are walking in a triumphal procession. The Lord has already won the battle. He's already settled the score. Not only did he die, not only did he pay for our sins, not only did he shed his blood, 
But He rose again. And He proved He has power over death. And He's coming again to take us with Him for eternity. We are in the triumphal procession. So don't forget that. Okay? Paul is saying that to his people here in Corinth. We are part of this triumphal procession. He always leads us. Not just once in a while. We are always in that victor's parade with Christ. And so right there again in verse 14, he says, because of this, we should be spreading everywhere the fragrance of the knowledge of him. We should be spreading the fragrance of Christ wherever we go. Now, we all know this uh, literally, quite literally. Our smell goes with us wherever we go, right? Do you know, recognize certain smells from certain homes? It's so funny. Like my grandma and grandpa Penn, if I get in the right place sometime, I can still smell their house because it just had a thing about it, right? Uh, it smelled like uh, really like old 1960s. I didn't grow up in the 60s, but I know that's what it is. That's what it smelled like. That same smell, right? I can walk into my parents' house and you have the same smell. We take those things with us, right? That, unfortunately, that's how things are. We should be taking with us the smell of Christ everywhere we go. And I want you to think about this is a, a really powerful task for us. And just to kind of get you set up for that, if you want to, you can turn your Bibles to Isaiah chapter 55. And again, a reminder that God, the way he does things is just different than the way we do things and that he is God and we are not. And so we have to trust him. Again, this is 700 years before Christ. Isaiah writes these words. Look here at verses 8 uh, down through verse 11. Isaiah 55. This is King James here again this morning. For my thoughts are not your thoughts, and neither are your ways my ways, saith the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts higher are my thoughts than your thoughts. Verse 10. For as the rain cometh down, and the snow from heaven, and returneth not thither, but watereth the earth, and maketh it bring forth and bud, that it may give seed to the sower, and bread to the eater, so shall my word be that goeth forth out of my mouth. It shall not return unto me void, but it shall accomplish that which I please, and it shall prosper in the thing whereto I sent it. First thing in that passage, just quickly, right? God's ways are not our ways. I hope I'm being careful here. You guys bear with me, all right? If, if, it was, if it was me, not God, there is no way that I would have Todd and Donna be dealing with what they'd be dealing with. Lord, take that away. Just give us some healthy babies right now. Let's be good, right? Uh, a lot of Vicky's family and the things that they've been, had to go through, I'd say, Lord, just take that away, right? Uh, these boys and some of the things that they've had to endure, Lord, just take that away. <laughs> My ways are different than God's ways and the way I think about things, right? That's how the Lord says he goes, as high as the heavens are above the earth, so are my thoughts than your thoughts. Again, the Lord sees the whole picture, not just the higher picture. He sees it from the beginning to the very end. So that's where faith comes in. Lord, I got to trust you. I don't get it. I don't understand it. For Wendy and I, we've been praying for both of our kids and really been praying for Brooklyn like crazy. And I don't get some things there. Lord, I don't understand. It's not my way, but I got to trust you. And then I got to be obedient, right? Okay. So this morning, as you think about that, as we think about this idea of being a Roma, I first want to start out with this idea that, wait a second now, you got to re recognize that the way God does things may not be the way you do things. Your job is to be an aroma. Okay. The other thing that's really important from this passage in Isaiah that I think also shows itself in the passage in 2 Corinthians is that God's word does not return 
void. It doesn't come back empty. This is very powerful. Usually we think of that always in the positive, right? When God speaks his word, people see the miraculous. They change, they respond, and unbelievable things happen. We see that all through the Old Testament, right? God's word even creates the earth. So when he speaks it out, all these amazing things happen. But also, I want you to know that sometimes when God's word is spoken, when it is declared, it is declared as judgment on the people who would not obey it. Are you tracking with me there? Sometimes the word of God not returning void means that God's wrath and his justice and his judgment come forth. Trust the word of the Lord. Sometimes when you're trying to want, you want somebody to come to Christ, our desire is so strong to see them revived or saved or changed and come and be part of a good fellowship. But here's what I want you to hear this morning. Sometimes when you're declaring God's word, you're speaking what that will judge those people because they won't obey his word. That's kind of a heavy thing, isn't it? Let's go back into 2 Corinthians and we'll look at that just a little bit more closely. God's word sometimes judges and condemns, but then it also sometimes encourages and uplifts. If you would this morning, sometimes we, we might be like Chanel number five to some people, right? or eternity, or whatever your favorite cologne or perfume is, <laughs> right? Can you think about the person that led you to Christ? They smelled really good, didn't they? Amen. The Bible says they even have beautiful feet. And those of you guys that have feet washed, the preacher's feet, you know how these are the ugliest feet in the world, but there's a few people in the world that think these feet are beautiful because they brought the gospel to them, right? So we want to be that kind of smell for sure. For those people that get to hear Christ and their lives are changed, we want to be that kind of aroma. But to some people, again, bear with the humor a little bit this morning, but we are a little more like Pepe Le Pew, right? Yeah, that skunk that we mentioned earlier, right? Here's the thing, and I have a hard time with this. You guys know your preacher. He likes to be liked, right? Some of you don't care. Most of you in this room like to be liked too. And sometimes when you live a Christian life, when you don't cut corners at work, when you don't go out partying, getting drunk with the people who are partying, getting drunk, when you choose a different path, then some people, they just don't like you. Why is that? Is it because you're annoying and offensive? Well, you're offensive in this way. This is your preacher's two cents here. When you try to do a path that is right, then you are confronting their worldview and they have to decide, am I making the right decision? Here's somebody that's chosen a different path. I don't like that. I like pleasing myself. I like to be around people who are pleasing themselves because then I don't feel like I have any accountability to a higher power, to a God who is a creator of the world like this crazy person here says. But when you make a decision to honor God with your life and with your words and with your actions, then all of a sudden there's some people that around you are very uncomfortable and you stink to them because you remind them that if they don't surrender, that either this is all made up or they're facing a real death, a real punishment from a holy God. That's why it's so important that we do our best in the Holy Spirit's power to honor God with our daily decisions. Again, what kind of smell are you today what kind of a witness are you again there'll be times in your christian walk where you're able to bring true joy into the life of a person by sharing your witness this is so incredible 
So yesterday, my mom and dad were at home, and uh, some guy drove up to the house, and he came up, and he knocked on the door, and my mom was sitting upstairs, and my dad went down and started talking to him, and he was talking to him for quite a while. It wasn't just like a real quick, you know, whatever, and then all of a sudden, my mom got up to see what was going on, and my dad was hugging this big black guy there in our, uh, our the front entrance of our house. I'm like, well, what is going on? And my dad said, you need to come down here. And this guy, I believe his name was Brian Ray. And Brian played basketball with my brother Tyler in junior high school. And he said, I drive along this road. And you guys, if you know where I live, it's flat as a pancake. And this road's like by the airport. And he would always play basketball at our house with Tyler. We had a pretty big little basketball court there. And he said, every time I drive by, I think, I just got to stop by and talk to those people. And I want to tell them what an impact they had on my life because their son was a light and he didn't do things that everybody else did. In junior high, he said that in my church, uh, there's an opportunity to do some ministry for young boys. And I believe God has called me to do that. And I want you to know that you have had a part in my life. <laughs> Isn't that amazing? That's an aroma, right? That's Tyler, my little brother, who I give the hardest time in the world to. That's him <laughs> making good choices, even in junior high, that have an implication 30 years later for young men who need Christ. Young boys, you hear me today? You can make a difference with your life today, not 10 years, not 20 years, but the things you do now, they may pay dividends. Maybe your dad will have a visitor in 30 years. He'll say, thank you for taking care of these good boys. I just thought that was an incredible story. My mom, of course, she was through the roof, right? She couldn't believe that. But again, a reminder that we need to be aroma, and we don't know who's watching, right? They didn't know he was watching. They didn't know that he was paying attention, and the Lord used that in such a great way. Again, have you had this privilege yet to be an aroma of life to people? The other side is also true, and you guys know this. To some, we are the aroma of death, and we've already said this, but at the end of the procession, the captives would often be killed. And again, this reminder is very clear. If you are living the truth, people around you will know that there is a real hell. Okay, we don't, we don't like to talk about hell. We don't talk, well, we do like to talk about hell. We use the word hell in every other fashion except what it's really meant to be said. That, I need to be careful here. Preacher, this is kind of his soapbox and pet peeve, right? You talk about hell all the time in your words, and you don't even have a clue what you're saying. I wish you even just had a glimpse of that, and I think you, then you would really understand when you are exaggerating what you really are talking about. You guys, I don't want you to be going around and telling people like that's your first impulse is to say, you're going to hell if you don't know Jesus. That's not what I'm saying. But by the way you live your life, people should know that you believe that there is a hell, and you believe that it's a serious issue, and that it's a real thing. And that people would say, well, they're very careful about that. When they talk about that, they talk about it seriously, not like a cartoon, not like a curse word to be flung in here and there. They talk about it like it is a real place where people are going to really end up. And you guys, you know how I can be so serious about this? Who talks about hell more than anyone else in the scriptures? Is it Paul? No. Is it John? No. Is it Moses or Elijah? No. You know who talks about hell the most in the scriptures? His name is Jesus. And if Jesus, the one we know loves us so much that he died for us, if he's the one who says hell is real, 
then I'm going to hold to that till the day that I die. All right? Again, we talk with it with caution, that's fine. With seriousness, that's fine. Uh, but we need to make sure that people understand that that's a, a truth that we have. You may have an opportunity even this week to have discussions about afterlife. Let your truth be shared at those times. God may be using our witness to remove their excuse. Did you hear that? God may be using our witness to remove their, their excuse. There will be times in your Christian life where people don't like you because of your beliefs. We already know that. They will think you are too cruel or they think you are foolish to follow such a crutch. But the scripture is very clear, reminds us about this, doesn't it? First Corinthians chapter 1, one of my favorite passages. For the message of the cross is what? It is foolishness to those who are perishing. Is that true? You better believe it, right? What? What's this church stuff? What's this Jesus stuff? What's this? You think the Bible's really true? You guys are crazy. That's foolishness. To those who are perishing, the message of the cross, the gospel is foolishness. But to us who are being saved, what is it? The gospel is the power of God. The gospel is what changes everything. And if you encountered the gospel, it's not foolishness to you. It's a life-changing agent. Understand today, as you are being aroma, some people who are perishing are going to think this is foolish. But remind yourself that to the rest of us, it's the power of God. That person that's an alcoholic in your workplace, that person that's having an adulterous affair, that person that is cheating on all of their finances or cheating at work, the power of the gospel can change all of those things and redeem them to be right with the Lord. And we believe that. And so we live that foolishness message so that people will hear it and be changed and be saved. Again, we won't make everyone happy, but we should be sharing life and death to the people around us. Now, hear me out this morning. I think this is very important. It is not your job to be offensive. The gospel is offensive enough. Are you tracking with that today? And sometimes your preacher has to be a little bit careful here because I've got a little Lee pin in me. I can get a little going sometimes, right? I get a little too wound up. It's not my job to be offensive it is my job to simply share the truth and then let the gospel do it, its part, right? We've been doing this uh, countercultural on Wednesday nights, and the very first chapter was what? What was the most offensive thing of all? It's the gospel, right? It's not a belief on abortion. It's not a belief on homosexuality. It's not a belief on the poor or immigration or any of that stuff. The most offensive thing is the gospel because the gospel says it's not all about you. And the world says it is. And so let the gospel be what's offensive. We should not be what is offensive. Again, pray for each other in that. And I've said this a hundred times as well, but it is not your job to save. It is your job to do what? To witness. Okay, don't, don't worry about that. You don't have to save. I feel that way sometimes. Oh no, I failed. They didn't get saved. Oh no, they didn't come to church. Oh no, they didn't get right with God. What a mess I am. Such a horrible failure at doing this. <laughs> That's not my job. My job is to be a witness. Real quick, and I think this is good and important. You guys might want to, it may help you think about things. And even in, as we think about in India, the work over there, there's a difference between proselytizing and evangelism. And I think this is very applicable to where we are as well. And I want to read this to you. It's a little technical, but I think it's, it's got a good point to it. What's the difference between proselytizing and evangelizing? The best way to distinguish them is to understand proselytism as an unworthy witness. Uh, 
there's a group of churches that put together a document that kind of helped this difference between an unworthy witness and a worthy witness. It defined three aspects of proselytizing. Okay, again, proselytizing is the bad thing. Number one, the first thing, whenever our motives are unworthy, that is proselytizing, right? Man, do you know how many people I brought to church? Do you know how many people I got saved? <laughs> I've been around some people like that, right? When I am trying to do, and even Paul said here, they were not doing it for, for dishonest gain, right? Man, I've got a bigger church. I got more money, right? Some people pursue that way. When we are witnessing with unworthy motives, that is proselytizing. When our concern is for our glory rather than God's. Number two, when our methods are worthy. Can you have an unmethod when you're trying to share the gospel with someone? Yeah. You ever bait and switch? Right? Uh, that will happen to you probably about 20, 30 times today if you're watching television. Right? I'm going to use either fear or reward to try to motivate you. Okay? And actually, more than that, I'm going to try to trick you. Uh, again, I was in a situation one time, I won't name any names, but I, it was very difficult for me to watch because I saw one man who I, who I think was a godly man, but I think his motives that day were out of whack a little bit. And he went to a, a young person and he began to force them to pray a prayer that they really didn't want to pray so that at the end of the time he could say, you're saved and now I led you to God. But if he had actually been even remotely listening to this young person, he would have realized he was in no place to sincerely say that prayer. He was just saying it to get this guy off his back because the pressure was so strong that he just wanted out of the situation. We have seen that probably in revival services before or camp meetings before too. You ever been something like that? This is verse number 47 that we're going to sing because we need somebody to come <laughs> and repent, right? Um, there can be an appropriate time for that when the Spirit is leading, but a lot of times that can be manipulation and it can be get, trying to guilt someone. And so finally somebody will give in, not because they sincerely are receiving the Lord, they just want out of the pressure. If you're pressuring someone like that to come to Christ and it's not of their heart, that is proselytizing, okay? Number three, whenever our message is unworthy whenever we deliberately misrepresent other people's beliefs all right we call this making a straw man a lot of times some of that doesn't really exist we make a straw man so we can burn it down <laughs> and so we need to be very careful how we handle the truth in contrast to evangelize is to make an open and an honest statement of the gospel which leaves the hearers entirely free to make up their own minds about it we wish to be sensitive to those of other faiths and reject any approach that seeks to force conversion on them. Now, should we be persuasive? Should we speak from our heart? Absolutely. You better believe that, right? But what we have to be careful of is when that turns into a manipulating or an unworthy motive. Okay? Again, this week, it's not your job to save anybody, but I guarantee you, if you're praying sincerely with the preacher this morning, that God will give you an opportunity. You're going to get a chance to either speak or share the gospel in your life this week, okay? I don't want anybody proselytizing, all right? And even in our, what I speak of Sindhu and ID, they actually, well, Sindhu's brother, Hananiah, has been arrested for proselytizing. Now, he wasn't 
I think he was evangelizing, <laughs> but his culture saw an opportunity where he was trying to share a witness, and so then they decided to put him in jail, okay? For us this week, we want to look for an opportunity to make an open and an honest confession about what Jesus has done for us. And then it's on the, it's for computer terms, it's on the end user to decide what they want to do with it. But this gets really hard when it's our family, amen? I don't want anybody in my family to have a choice. You're all going to heaven, right? You're all going to follow Jesus. You're all going to obey him. And that's, that's what's in me. But what this here says to me this, this day is what? I, I can't do that. I lay out the truth. I try to live the truth. I try to be the aroma that God wants me to be. And then they're going to have to be accountable between the Lord and themselves. Not, not my job to save them. Oh, that's hard, isn't it, right? Hear the words of the Lord today. And so what Paul says, and I think this is so powerful, even in this passage, he says, who is equal to such a task? You being an aroma for Christ is going to change someone's eternal destiny. Right? If Brother Chris hadn't been an aroma in Rick and Vicky's life, where would they be? If Ivan Maxwell and Lee Penn had been an aroma in my life, where would I be? Right? And the same is also true. We are an aroma to some people's life that's going to bring God's judgment upon them. And when they die and face the Lord, he's going to say, well, Oliver shared with you the truth of the gospel. Brother Michael, he lived the truth of the gospel in front of you. You had an opportunity to submit and to surrender to me, but instead you decided to follow yourself. You chose death. And their witness is your judgment. Who is up to such a task? That's crazy, isn't it, right? That's why we have to depend on the Holy Spirit. God, today, you guide me. Let me be the smell that I need to be. Hopefully, I'm the pleasant aroma as many people as possible. But you let me be that, that fragrance of Christ everywhere I go. How important it is for us to walk by faith. Again, Paul says he's not doing this for money. He's just speaking the truth as it's been laid on his heart. All right, one final story, you guys, and then we'll call it a Sunday here. Again, a reminder of the power of a changed heart and the aroma of someone who is living a life for Christ. What good can come from a tragic death? Again, strength and suffering. What good can come from a tragic death? April, a young adult who attended our church, was excited. She had invited a friend, Josh Collins, to go with her to a special drama that our church was putting on called Heaven's Gates and Hell's Flames. Josh not only came, but he received Christ that evening. He invited all his friends to come with him Wednesday night to view the drama. Excited about his newfound faith, he bought a Christian CD, and he invited his friends to watch a Christian video and ask his family to go to church with him on Sunday and told everyone at work that he had gotten saved. The following Friday, Josh was traveling down Highway 28, a really curvy road that runs alongside the Little Tennessee River. And nobody knows why, and perhaps Josh reached down to get something, but he rolled his truck into the river. And because it was spring, the river was full, it was running fast. A search team couldn't find the body at first, so I, the associate pastor of the church at the time, went to the river to see Josh's parents and to pray. They were thankful that their son had made a decision to follow Christ. Someone remarked that the first witnesses on the scene said that the new CD was still playing in the truck when they got to it. And Josh's mother wanted us to pray that they would find Josh alive or find his body. She said that they found uh, the body, that at least she wouldn't know. 
that he was in heaven. The body was finally recovered on Friday afternoon, and the family asked if I would do the funeral at our church since Josh found Christ there. This is from Mike Barnes. The attendance of about 1,500 people at the funeral home was the largest ever in the town. At the funeral the next day, many people spoke about how Josh became a Christian just days before. I gave an invitation and several people responded. And at the graveside, one of our high school teachers reported that a number of students had told them they too had come to Christ at the drama. Pastors told me that when they mentioned this at their church this Sunday morning, many more responded to the gospel. When I spoke of Josh in my sermon that Sunday, our own altar was full. The next day, I got a call from a sheriff in a neighboring county who had been at the funeral and now wanted to speak at a youth rally there. Josh's brief time as a believer created an ongoing witness, causing others to hear the message of salvation. Of course, we cannot know God's purposes when someone dies tragically like this. But we take comfort in seeing that something so important to Josh Collins, bringing others to Christ, came about through his passing. While the loss and the pain that result from death of a loved one are real and cannot lightly be put aside, we know that God can at the same time work mysteriously for good through the death of a believer in ways we may see glimpses of on this side of heaven. So here we go. We mourn deeply. Don't take that lightly. We mourn deeply, but not like those whose lives and deaths have no higher purpose. We know that God can at the same time work for good through the death of a believer. An aroma, right? You guys in our own town in Salem where Wendy and I lived, heaven's gates and hell's flames came through and Pastor Ice was the pastor of Nazarene Church. He'd been fasting for like two weeks before they came and they stayed for like maybe two to three weeks. They stayed in our town and I saw people in my school get saved <laughs> as the aroma of Christ was spread uh, through people being obedient. All right. What I want to encourage you this week is don't be a bland Christian. Commit yourself to stand strong for the Lord Jesus and be a sweet fragrance for Christ. Amen? Amen. You guys, let's stand this morning. Thank you so much for your patience and for listening. And hopefully the Lord spoke to you what you needed to hear today. But again, my challenge to you is kind of where we started off in our prayer time today is I pray that all of us, again, even as we close out today, that we will pray for an opportunity to be a fragrance this week, to be a witness. And I'm going to challenge me and challenge some of you as well. I, I think probably more than we do, we should be speaking the gospel. All right, we live the gospel. I know a lot of you guys, I watch you. I know you live the gospel. But let's look for that opportunity where we may have a chance to literally speak the Romans road, to literally speak the cross of Christ and the resurrection of Christ. Okay? Does anybody have any prayer requests before we're dismissed today? Thank you so much again for your attention. Brother Michael. I need to confess something. Um, yesterday, Jacob did not get to play with his mom's hand. My heart was very hard. He was really hurt. He got lost in the game. He apologized. My heart was very hard. I have an opportunity to bless him. But God allowed Jacob to be the king. <laughs> Amen. Pray for God's grace there too. Anybody else today before we're dismissed? All right. Will you guys keep praying for your church family? Uh, pray for those online, those here. 
and those that just haven't been here. Would you pray for your church leadership, okay? Um, today, Vicki and Michael and I will sit down just briefly and kind of remind ourselves of who we're, we need to make sure we're contacting and touching. Uh, next week, um, we have some decisions uh, I'm going to try to get with. Uh, I got with them on Friday. We're going to talk again on Monday about our parking lot and what our options there are. So would you pray for our church that we'll make the best choices there and the Lord will work all that out, okay? We have homeless ministry coming up two weeks from today. Again, so pray for the Lord's leading in that. Again, <laughs> an aroma, right? Sometimes the good smell, sometimes not as much. Pray that we will be what we need to be for our homeless ministry uh, coming up. And then as Rick has kind of already mentioned, we're trying to figure out how to navigate going forward with Sunday school, with Wednesday night, with our children's ministries. And so we need the Lord's wisdom and all that. And we don't want to lag behind, but we don't want to step ahead. And so we really need his, his guidance. Would you pray for your church family as we all make those decisions moving forward? Anything else? All right, I thank you guys so much again for being here today. Brother Todd, would you dismiss us in prayer this morning, please? Yes, Lord. Amen. Have a great week, guys.